Hey there, and welcome to another episode of Hack to Start, a podcast that focuses on amazing people who have an interesting story or perspective to share and their insights on how they got to the level of success they have today. Thanks for joining Tyler and I for another episode. This is episode 123, and today we'll be chatting with Justin Brooke, the founder and CEO of the Digital Media Buying Institute. Justin was a high school dropout and then got into construction, but he's always had a passion for marketing. Now, after more than 10 years in the business, building and growing his own agency, managing over 10 million in ad budgets, and traveling the world, he's now building his own platform startup. Justin launched the Digital Media Buying Institute earlier this year, and he's already broken six figures in revenue twice. With more than 2,500 students and growing, the MBI is the world's most updated online advertising courses platform. Justin joins us to share his story, the challenges he faced in building a services agency, the creative tactics he leveraged to acquire some of his biggest customers in targeted niches, what it was like spending over $10 million in online ads, the biggest mistake he's seen other digital marketers make when it comes to online ad buys, the challenges of scaling a platform business, and much more. So once again, we'd like to welcome you to the show. Feel free to tweet us at hack to start drop us an email at hey at hacktostart.com or share your feedback right on iTunes with a review. Good or bad, we'd love to hear from you. So let's get started. Hey, Justin, thanks so much for being on the show today. Yeah, man. No, thank you for having me. Yeah, man. We're super excited to learn more about your story, how you approach online marketing and ads, and just like what you're working on today. But before we dive into that, where are you from and what did you study? I'm in South Florida. I studied video games. I don't know. I, I, didn't, even, <laughs> I, I, I didn't even graduate high school, man. So yeah, I, but I have been a student of internet mar- of marketing, really, uh, for the last 11 years. December will be 11 years for me. That's amazing. So, so how did you really get into like tech and entrepreneurship? You know, you mentioned gaming a little bit, but but really, what was the key thing to get you in? I really got tired of eating ramen noodle soup every day for lunch, and I wanted better. Yeah, I really, I guess the impetus was I was actually I was working construction, and I really hate to sweat. I hate to sweat. I know nobody likes to sweat, but no, I like really, really don't like sweating. And so I'm out on the construction site, and I just had this vision of me working in the AC in this crushed velvet, gray crushed velvet chair. And there was a phone, but I guess the phone was a metaphor for the internet. But anyways, I like had this vision out on the construction site. It was like, I'm going to do that. I'm not going to be doing this anymore. And so from that day forward, I wanted to figure out how to, at first, I didn't know. I didn't want to start a business. I don't think, I have a theory that I don't think a lot of us actually wanted to start a business we just wanted to be able to pay our bills a little bit better or maybe not wake up to an alarm clock. Maybe I'm different. But what I wanted was a website that paid my bill. That's what I want. I didn't want a business. I just wanted a website that paid my bills for me. And so that's how I got into the tech and got started with all this stuff, figuring out how to create that. That's awesome. So so right after kind of like instructions, you know, stand to like, what was your first gig and how did you get really into online marketing? So I, after construction, I got a job in sales because I was like the first move towards the vision, you know, with the comfy chair and the phone and the AC building. And so I did sales and turned out I had a knack for phone sales. And so I did pretty well. I won some awards, you know, like in the company, beating some of the other reps. And then 
I remember like every day I would eat a ramen noodle soup and my boss would eat right next to me. It was a small company that we worked for. And so the boss would come and eat lunch with us. And every day I would eat a ramen noodle soup and he would eat a whole lemon pepper chicken. And man, I was like, man, I want to eat a lemon pepper chicken. I don't want to be eating this ramen noodle soup. And back then, you know, all I saw him do is we would all get to the job at the same time and we'd walk in the same door and he'd flick on the lights and they'd go off into his office. Now, as a business owner, I know now like what all he was doing in the in that office all day to keep the business running. But from what I saw back then, me and the other sales reps were doing all the work. Like we were bringing in all the money. But we're eating ramen noodles and he's eating a lemon pepper chicken. So I wanted to, that's what made me want to start like my own business, get a website that was paying my bills is I just wanted to get out of that sales job. So that's the long answer to your question. I was working in sales, which kind of led into online marketing. That's an awesome story for sure. There's always a flip side to that uh, that coin, you know, of of not knowing what it's like to run a business until you start running one, and then you start to see all those all those you know hidden things that that weren't necessarily apparent. But but I love the story. So you know, chatting about you know making that shift from sales to just having a, a website that could could make some money. You've you know started several businesses and online projects over the years. What have been some of the biggest changes kind of you know in terms of trends when it comes to the way people approach online marketing you know from when you started to now i actually feel like it's kind of coming full circle 11 years ago that was 2005 and it was really all about email marketing and if you look at like 2010 to maybe 2014 People were kind of saying email marketing is dead, email's dead, social is the big thing. You know, it was web 2.0, and then people were like, web 3.0 and social media and email's dead, social media is the new thing. But you're really starting to see people starting to talk about email again. You're getting guys like Noah Kagan, who's doing webinars and speaking on stages and telling people that the most important thing they should be doing is building their email list. You just got a lot more guys that are really talking about email. And so I think it's kind of coming full circle is like we used to rely very heavily on there was a lot of selling of courses was kind of the popular business model information. And then for a while it became e-commerce and then software and software is still kind of the king. But you're also seeing a big switch to courses again. And so like email marketing and selling information it's kind of really the core of the internet of like what makes the internet the internet. Yeah, that's really cool. It's uh, kind of, you know, what's old is new again and everybody's rediscovering the the early tactics, I guess, that made that made the web so successful in the early days like you're saying. Yeah, yeah, and so there's been a lot of advertising has, you know, made big huge changes. I mean, at first it was just banner ads and then all of a sudden Google came out with AdWords ads and now you can pay per click. You know, today like most people come into the scene today Paying per click is like a default to them. Like, duh, of course we pay per click. But that actually wasn't around. You know, I mean, you used to pay on CPM. You'd pay for per 1,000 views of your ad. You could pay for, you know, 10,000 views of your ad and never get a single click. You know, that was totally possible. Today, now you're paying per click and now you have Facebook that allows you to optimize based on conversions and leads and engagement. And so advertising is really, really matured over time. And I feel like you're starting to see people almost going back to like you, you see instead of people using advertising to try and drive to sales pages, they're driving to content. 
which was kind of like what the web was really about when it first started. It was about information. It was about people sharing content. And again, it's just kind of all come right back to what the web was all about. Absolutely. So on that note, you know, you've done tons of different types of marketing campaigns uh, and, and, you know, we're going to get to what you're currently working on. But when it comes to digital marketers who are trying to, you know, generate traffic and see conversions, what are some of the top mistakes you see them making? One of the biggest mistakes I see people making is, is not realizing that like all the traffic is there. You can't like make new traffic. You're, you're, I hate the word traffic generation. It really should be like traffic redirection. The traffic is already, all the eyeballs and all the customers you could ever need are already online. They're already on Amazon.com or Facebook or YouTube. So your goal is not to try and like make traffic. Your goal is to try and figure out where your traffic is, what you have to put in front of them to get them over to your site. It's a little bit of a mindset shift that helps a lot more because then all of a sudden, when you start thinking about it like that, now you're thinking about what's the right offer to put in front of them. What's my customer profile? You know, who who is it that I'm trying to reach? Where are they? Instead of just trying to come up with, you know, what's some thing that I, you know, like it's kind of like a lot of people treat it like a lottery. They think that marketing, like they're just going to create some lead magnet or some software, some blog post that magically everybody's going to want to come to. But it's really very scientific, actually. It's not like a lottery. You can completely reverse engineer what result you want. So if you have a blog post that you want to become really popular, well, who is the ideal reader for that blog post? You write that down. Okay, that ideal reader, where do they normally hang out online? Okay, you write that down. Okay, so if that's where they hang out online, what could you do? Is it a Facebook ad? Is it a YouTube video? What could you put in front of them to get them over to your blog post? And like very scientifically, you come up with step by step exactly what you need to make something go viral. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. It's super cool to kind of hear you talk about, you know, engineering the the the, the effect that you want by by you know, breaking it down and kind of working backwards. You know, so so on that note, I guess a little bit more, you actually ended up building and running an agency called I'm Scalable for several years. So what yes. were some of the biggest challenges in building a service based agency? Biggest challenge of building a service-based agency was it was really the hiring. You know, nobody's coming out of college with a degree in Google Ads, and so if you're running a digital ad agency, sure, I'm good at Google Ads, but if we have 25 clients, am I supposed to do all the campaigns for 25 clients? What if they want to do Facebook and Google? Now I'm doing 50 campaigns, and so trying to hire somebody that's good at any of these things now. I'm not saying that there's not the possibility of hiring people because there's a lot of people selling themselves as Facebook ad experts. It's like anybody with a Facebook account now is all of a sudden a Facebook ad expert. But to actually hire somebody who can, like if you say, I need you to keep my cost per customer under $90, that's it's hard to hire somebody that can deliver that result consistently. Anybody can go and create Facebook ads for you. And so... Hiring people became hard because one, they're not coming out of college. All the best ones already have their own clients. And so the ones that you are hiring, you have to train them and then hope they don't leave. And so that would happen. I would train somebody up. I'd get them really good. And then they'd go off and get their own clients and start their own their own agency. And so, yeah, hiring was the hardest thing. And that's why we started you know, what we're doing now with the online advertising courses, I was like, screw it. You know, I'll just create the school that trains everybody and then everybody else can hire these people. And it's working out well. 
And so that's how I started the business. That was what was hard for me. I don't think getting the clients was hard because I understand marketing. We could talk about how I was doing that if you want to. But if you're asking me what was the biggest challenge, the biggest challenge was hiring. Yeah, that's really cool. Yeah, and I, I did want to kind of ex- ex- expand on that in terms of like, what were some of the things you looked for when you were hiring? Um, was, was it just an interest in digital marketing? And like you said, you would just train people. And then if you can expand on how did you go about acquiring some of your first customers? Yeah, so I'll answer the customers one first, and then I'll come back to what I looked for with the hiring. Just sure, kind sounds of remind good. me of that. You know, the first thing I did, you know, there's a book. It's called uh, The Ultimate Sales Machine by Chet Holmes. That's, I think, if anybody's building a, a service-based business, that should be like your Bible. It explains everything you need to do to build a good sales force and, and customer client list. And so one of the topics in there is this Dream 100 list. And the Dream 100 list is like, you know, what are the 100 clients you wish you had? And once you have that 100 list, you know, like all the names, then I would add, you know, I'd create a spreadsheet. And so I have the names of all the clients that I wish I could work with. And then I put their product names and then I put their website names and I put their blog and their social profile. And I just kind of created like a Rolodex of these, you know, these people and then just started reaching out to them. Now I'm trying to market to a hundred people instead of trying to market to just anybody out there. And so you can create very, very targeted marketing campaigns, even doing like direct mail, you know, sending stuff out in the mail to them because you know exactly who it is. So like, for example, in our agency, we used to target supplement makers, people who made fish oil or protein shakes or, you know, muscle building powders, you know, people who sold health supplements. And so one thing we would do if they were on the Dream 100 list, we would go find some of their ads in magazines. We'd rip their ad out of a magazine and we'd glue that to the front of our envelope. And so, like, why would they, they – of course they're going to open that because they see their own ad. And so they're going to open that letter up for us. And in the letter, we're, we're being very specific about how we can grow their company. And so where other marketers were approaching them with a very generic message of how we can get you to the top of Google or how we can you know, get you uh, clicks on AdWords, we were sending them a specific strategy for their specific product. That's and awesome. I love so it. That, Yeah, that was huge. That really helped us out a lot. And then the other thing we did is, you know, looking at what all those people, you know, I started friending them on Facebook, friending them on Twitter and watching what type of articles they were sharing because the articles that they're sharing are obviously the articles that they're reading and not only the ones that they're reading, but the ones they like enough that they want to tell people, hey, this is great stuff. And so as I got an idea of what they were sharing, I started writing what I felt was like, the ultimate blog post that they wanted to read. And, and so our our customers, their direct response marketers, their supplement sellers are very aggressive uh, with their marketing. And so I created a blog post. It was the 2015 aggressive marketers rollout plan. Oh, and they just ate it up. That was like the greatest thing. And I filled it with tons of data and charts and diagrams and definitions. Yeah, I really poured, you know, I think I spent two weeks just really writing out this article and then just started using ads and and social media, targeting these 100 people, getting them to that blog post. And when they read that blog post, the other thing I did is I made sure that the blog post kind of overwhelmed them. It was like, here's so many things that you could do, 
that they naturally just wanted somebody to do it for them because it was like, oh, I can't do all this myself. And so they would read my blog post. And then at the end of the blog post, it said, hey, if you're looking for somebody to do this strategy for you, who better than me? I just wrote the strategy. That's awesome. Those are two amazing tactics I don't have to remember for uh, future future use. So that was kind of like those were my two big things that got us all the clients. And, and we did really well. I mean, we landed most of the people on our Dream 100 list. Some of the biggest supplements, some of the biggest financial companies. There was one month when we spent $1.1 million in that one month. And I think that was our highest month. So that wasn't like every month. But give people kind of context of the volume and size we were doing. That was on Google Ads. And then to go back to answering your question about the hiring, at first it, it made sense. Like look for digital marketers, people who already know this stuff. But I found that they actually have a lot of bad habits. I hate to say that because I'm one of you guys. I'm a digital marketer like you. I hate to say that about us, but you never know where somebody got their education from, like what blogs they read, what courses they've bought. And so it became kind of hard. It was harder to untrain them of bad habits because what I would get a lot of is like, I would tell them, here's the way we do this. And they'd be like, oh, but Joe Schmo guru says that you should do it like this. And it was like, oh, you know, it's like I had to deal with that over and over again. So untraining digital marketers was hard. And I'm not saying all of them are like that, but that that was just another hurdle. So what I found was really good is finding people who were numbers or research oriented, because that's really what it comes down to with advertising. Most people think, you know, online ads is like really sexy. You're designing these sleek, creative ads. No, really, you're looking at spreadsheets all day. That's the real truth. And so that's what we would look for. We would look for people who were very research or numbers minded. You know, they, they were good with, they loved spreadsheets. They loved looking for patterns in the numbers. And then they were looking for job security more so than they were looking to work for that cool online company that had a foosball table in the break room. So in between, I guess, running that uh, service-based agency and the Digital Media Buying Institute that uh, that you only just started, you know, a few months ago, and we'll, we'll dive into that a bit more, you actually, you know, took some time off and, and spent some time traveling with your family. You know, can you tell us a little bit about that experience and kind of like unplugging and some of the places you, you might have visited and, and how that changed your outlook on business and life? Typical millennial, right? Just sells everything and goes on a road trip for nine months. <laughs> um, so like I said, you know, I'm not bashing anybody. I'm one of you. I, you know, I, uh, not a hypocrite at all, but you know, I had some success in my career. I don't want to sound like a bragging or whatever, but you know, I got to, I had a six bedroom house and that was cool. And I'm so blessed that I, I had that in my life, but I remember there was a day I can remember like the specific tile I was standing on. That's how like profound this moment was. I was making more money than I'd ever made in my life, but I was still broke. And it was because every time I'd make another thousand dollars, I'd spend another thousand dollars on something. It's like, you know, I went from like, you know, making $3,000 a month to $5,000 a month, to $10,000 a month to 20. And my bills just got higher and higher. So it's like, yeah, I'm making more money, but I'm, I'm not keeping any of it. I'm, I'm, you know, so it was like, I was still just like paying to exist just at a much higher rate. And I was like, what is it all for? And I was like, I'm just going to sell it all and go on a road trip. And it was probably the best thing I ever did. Cause I was working like all the hours then too. I mean, I don't know about you guys, but like I would wake up, I'd have my coffee or tea, maybe my bowl of cereal and I'd start working. 
And then really the only time I would stop working is to eat, maybe watch a TV show. But really it's like I work from the time I wake up to the time I go to bed and I do it over again. And I was like, that's not why I started this thing. Like I didn't start this thing so I could be working more. I started this whole internet. Like I want the internet lifestyle, which is, you know, going to Bali and working on a laptop and only working a couple hours a day or the, the four hour work week that where was that? And uh, traveling got me that it, it forced me to, to learn how to delegate because when you're on the road, especially with kids, like you, you can't work 16 hours a day. Your kids will, will tie you up and throw you out of the house or something. So I had to learn how to delegate. And because the internet was spotty, I had to learn how to get it done quicker because sometimes it would just be like, I only had three hours at a local Starbucks and that's it. I, that's all I had for the day was I had to get everything done in that three hours at Starbucks. So I would really have to learn how to I learned that productivity was not about like timers and to do lists, but really it was about what are like the three most key things I need to get done today. And the other seven, I don't know when I'm going to get to them, but, you know, it, it was that's what I found about productivity. It's really about saying no to what's on your to do list and saying yes to the right things more so than it is trying to discipline yourself to sit there at the computer longer. Yeah, no, that's amazing that you've had the opportunity to just like take off, travel for nine months and just reflect. But where, what are some of the places that you traveled and and just elaborate a little bit more on kind of the areas that you got to, to work in? You know, you mentioned you were able to jump into Starbucks, but were, this, were there any cool co-working spaces or just spaces in general that you had the opportunity to work out of? Yeah, so we went from a six-bedroom house to basically living out of a Ford F-150. And we would travel to like a new location every month and we'd stay in an Airbnb. And so we would, un- you know, every time we got to a new location, we'd unpack the back of our Ford F-150 with all of our pillows and our suitcases and our Xbox and you know, whatever else that we brought along with us. Uh, we ended up leaving like a trail of stuff as we went across the country too, because we realized that what we started with was way more than what we needed. Like I started with 30 feet of HDMI cable. I don't know why I thought I needed 30 feet of HDMI cable, but so we left stuff across the country, but I started in Florida. Uh, we went to Georgia. We went to New Orleans. We went to Texas. We went to New Mexico, Arizona, San Diego. And then we went, uh, we shipped the truck back home to Florida. My sister ended up keeping it for us for a while while we flew over to Japan, spent two weeks in Japan, flew to Bali, and we were only going to stay, we were only going to spend two weeks in Bali and then we were going to go to Thailand, but we loved it so much, we almost made the decision to live in Bali. We ended up extending our stay there about seven weeks and then we went to Australia for one week. So we ended up spending about two and a half, almost three months in Asia. We wanted to go all the way around the world, but when we got to Bali, we realized like how much more of the world was left. We're like, let's go home. That's crazy. It's really inspiring to be able to like travel the world like that. And I I look to maybe have a similar trip (laughs) in my lifetime because it sounds amazing. Like to be able to go from North America to Asia and and travel around and work at times is just amazing. I think everybody should do it. I mean, it really opened my eyes to and what it did really is it really made me fall in love with America again because and I don't want to get political and I'm not going to go there but with all the like sometimes with all the way the media is right now and especially how much of the media is in Facebook and in our social profiles you kind of 
I don't know. I mean, sometimes you can get a little salty about like what America is. But I tell you what, you go to another country, you really begin to appreciate what America is. You, It's not about the media. And there's so much more. So I fell back in love with my country. Mm-hmm. And that was that was probably the biggest thing. You know, uh, one is learning how to delegate more, learning how to run my business in just a couple hours a day, focusing on my family, but really like falling back in love with your country is kind of huge. So if we fast forward to today, you're currently the founder of the Digital Media Buying Institute. You mentioned earlier in the episode about how you might want to launch something like this, but what really pushed you to launch it? So what motivated me is, you know, it was so hard to hire and I was trying to train people and run an agency. It was just, it was too hard to do both. So I I had to pick one and, you know, based on like my, my trip, I realized that I wanted a different business model that, you know, I I know that I could have scaled the services and I hate to look at it. Like I quit, you know, I mean, we, we reached seven figures. We had like the best clients. We, we did great. I feel like I climbed that mountain and my better purpose was to create a school where I could teach people media buying so other people would have good people to hire. And so that was my motivation was, you know, schools aren't teaching people this stuff. Somebody's got to. And most of the information online about Facebook course, you know, about traffic is usually about affiliate marketing or starting an internet business. It's very geared to like the newbie or the affiliate marketer or the make money online stuff. There wasn't a place where you could go to get like real career building. Like I want to work at Dropbox as their Facebook ads guy, or I want to work at, you know, Salesforce as their Google AdWords person. There wasn't like that type of training that I could find, not a lot of it anyways. And so that's what was my inspiration, my driving force behind DMBI right now. That's amazing. So, so the school has been active for only a few months now, and you've been able to make over 100000 in your first 90 days. So how did you approach getting your first couple of customers? We've actually broken that six-figure mark twice now, which I'm really proud of. Wow, that's uh, amazing. It's been since May. Yeah, we've got 2,500 students. What I just realized today was I dropped out of high school, and I now I don't, I don't I realize I don't run a real school, but I kind of run a school, and it kind of has more students than my school had. So I'm kind of proud of that. That was interesting. That's amazing. (laughs) Okay, enough tooting my horn here. But uh, the way that I got my first customers, I decided to pre-sell our product. I think everybody should do that. I'm not a lawyer. I don't know the legalities behind that. But I'm not going to spend the time to make a product unless I know people are going to buy it. And so the first thing I did is I just kind of wrote a really, really – ghetto sales letter, if you could even call it that. I think it was like a blog post. It was just a long, it wasn't even on a blog. It was on Facebook. It just wrote, you know, here's what I'm going to be teaching. Here's why I think you need it. If you want it, send me 500 bucks in PayPal. And people did. And so then I went and made a sales page and created an email list. And, you know, they actually like really created a marketing plan for it and did it again and more people paid. And I was like, okay, well now I got to create a course. Otherwise I have to give back this money. And so I created the first course. At first it was just going to be that course. And then I just kind of had a bigger vision of, of like, you know, what if I built a real, like what if I built a real school? Like maybe I could build a college. I don't know. I, I'm a high school dropout. I don't know if that's possible, but maybe I could do it. And so that's kind of, 
the driving force. And so we, we started by pre-selling. We had a little bit of an audience on Facebook, a little bit of an email list from our agency. And so we, you know, kind of just borrowed from that. But, you know, the way that I've done it always is I ran a blog post that I know my people would want to see. And then I use Facebook and Twitter ads to push people to those blog posts. And that is where everything starts. So just to talk a little bit of, you know, growing it from one course to like a full on school or, or business and platform, like what is some of the challenges you've had to face um, or are facing right now with building this type of business? So one of the things I'm really doing now is I'm really trying to look at this as a platform. And there's a book out there called Platform Revolution. You know, other platform businesses are like Uber and uh, Airbnb um, platform is, you know, instead of you creating all the products, you're kind of creating a marketplace and connecting the customer with the seller. And so our biggest hurdles right now are being able to get more instructors so that we can get more customers. Because like the more courses we have, the more customers we can get. Like right now, there are people who want to buy a Pinterest ads course, but I can't acquire those customers because I don't have a Pinterest ads course. But if I did have a Pinterest ads course, I could sell them you know, a cheap $50 course on how to get started. And then they would probably buy my Google ads course and maybe my Facebook ads course because they're interested in advertising. And so we find that the more courses we have, the more courses people buy. You know, like they start with one and then they usually buy one or two others. And so, yeah, that's the biggest struggle right now is being able to, I think that's the biggest struggle with like starting up anything like this, like a forum. When you start, when you first start a Facebook group, you can't get anybody to join your group because nobody's in your group. And so like right now, you know, our biggest struggles in the beginning was we couldn't get people to join our platform because there was no courses on the platform. And so we had to have more courses. And so that's really our struggle right now is we now have, I think, nine and we're kind of getting to the point where we're able to release a new course every week. And so things are going great now. But that was our biggest struggle is how do we get more courses on here so that we can attract more customers? So, so you've obviously done like a ton of media buys, but like you mentioned before, you've been able to spend over 10 million with various campaigns and clients. What are some of the top mistakes most people make when doing online marketing buys? And what well, are just your, some of your favorite platforms that you're using? Yeah. So the biggest mistake that everybody makes, I call it the, um, the traffic Hail Mary. And mm -hmm. so what they, what they do is this is like the way everybody starts out buying traffic. It's like they got 500 bucks or they got a hundred bucks or maybe it's a thousand. They've got some sort of a, a bankroll that they're going to start with. And it's like, I'm going to put 500 bucks on Facebook ads and see if this works. That mentality right there. There's two things wrong with that mentality. One, when you're talking about a top tier ad network like Facebook or Google or Pinterest or Twitter, it's not the ad network that works or doesn't work. They got millions of advertisers and you're going to tell me that Facebook doesn't work. No, it's your it's your sales process, whatever you're doing that is or is not working. And so a lot of people, they blame the ad networks when it doesn't work because let's be honest, nobody wants to blame yourself. So that's the first thing that they do wrong. The second thing that they do wrong is they put their whole budget in and hope that they get some money out the back end. That's why I call it the Hail Mary. You know, they just toss the ball and hope that somebody catches it. The right way to do it is, you know, if you let's say you have a thousand dollars and people can scale this up or down however they need to. If you got a thousand dollars you want to spend on ads, you should start by spending two hundred dollars. You'll break your th break your budget into twenty percent chunks. And then your first spend is not about making money. 
I get that we all want to make money. I do too. I'm not going to start talking about wishy-washy things like engagement or anything. But before you can start getting an ROI, you have to start testing what works and what doesn't work. Until you test what works and what doesn't work, you can't even hope to get to ROI. So you spend your first 20% testing five different ads with five different ad groups and two different landing pages. You test as much as you can and you expect 80% of it to fail and you're looking for the 20% of it that succeeded. And that's where most people quit. It's like, oh yeah, I spent 500 bucks and I only made 80 bucks back. Well, that means that there was something in there, something in there worked. It just didn't work enough and you like too much of your money went to bad parts. And so the way I teach it in my course is like, I like to bet on all the horses. I bet on, I bet on all the horses first. And then I let the data and the numbers show me which of those horses are actually winners. And then I stop spending on the losers and I move all the budget to the winners. And so your first 20% is testing everything, finding out what's the 20% that works. Your second 20% of the ad budget is verifying that that 20% that worked works again. And then you start adding in the next 20% and the next 20% and the next 20% to start scaling up and, and, and making sure that it's going to keep going. And so that's the right way to spend money on traffic. You don't just, you know, hey, I got 500 bucks. I'm going to try this out, see if it works. For sure. I really like how you break up the budget into 20% chunks to scale things up. So what's next for yourself and DMBI in the upcoming months? We're trying to get to 4,000 users. You know, right now we're at 2,500. We want to get to 4,000. We're trying to maintain our revenue. And then really what we're, what we want to launch next year is boot camps. And so there are coding boot camps right now that a lot of people are going to because they, they just want a different job. You know, maybe they don't like the job that they want and they heard that coding is a great career. And so uh, we've done some research and actually uh, over $170 million has been made on coding boot camps. And so we want to start like a marketing boot camp because if people want jobs in coding, they might want jobs in online marketing. You know, it's I would say it's just as high paying and just as sexy. And so that's what we're betting on big next year is, you know, right now we're really working on like the online school. And next year we want to start trying to turn this into an offline with online type of school. It's awesome. Really looking forward to seeing, you know, the continued growth and uh, the, the other courses you guys are going to continue to add. Can you give us a, an idea of what's, you know, what's coming up next? Yeah, so this week we're releasing one um, about direct buys. Direct buys is where you go direct to the site and buy the banners instead of like typically you would go through Google if you wanted to have an ad on Forbes.com or on momandpop.com, but you can actually save some money by going direct to the website. And so we teach them like you, you might start out with the ad networks, find out what's working and then approach that person directly. And then what you can do is you can end up buying all the placements on that website and blocking out your competitors from that site. So that's the next one that's coming out. Then we got YouTube ads coming out. Uh, we got a course on analytics, Google Analytics, because that ties very much into advertising. Yeah, that's uh, what we got coming out. We got one coming up on conversion optimization. Awesome. Sounds amazing. We'll have to stay tuned and uh, we'll make sure we link to that so people can check it out as, as they come out. On a, on a bit of a different note, what are some of the most recent apps that you've uh, downloaded or used? Professionally, I like this app called, uh, I think it's called Write-O-Meter or Write-O-Meter. It's an app for people that arrives, you know, because we read a lot of emails, we read a lot of blog posts, 
an app about writing is useful to me. And what I like about it is it's got like a thesaurus and a dictionary built into it. And it's got a little tool to help you come up with replacement words to make your blog post sound a little bit better. But it also has reminders and goals. It, it allows you to kind of gamify your writing. So like right now, I'm trying to earn a cruise with my wife. And now I make enough money that if I wanted to go on a cruise with my wife, I could. But if I also want to meet my business goals, so what I do is I kind of turn my email and blog writing into a game through this app. And if I earn 50 points, I get to go on a cruise with my wife. So I like that app. It really keeps me focused on my writing. And then there's another app I just downloaded called, I think it's Wolfram Alpha or Alpha Wolfman. Have you guys heard of that one? No, I haven't. Oh, it's like if Google had a really nerdy brother, like a, an older, really nerdy brother who maybe was a college professor, that's what Wolfram Alpha, Alpha is. It's got some like AI built into it or machine learning. I don't know what the technology is, but you know, you can like get answers to calculus. You know, like imagine being able to go to Google and type in like, what is the answer to my calculus project? That's what Wolfram Alpha can do. And no it can way. do things for like diseases you know like if you have an earache you can ask it like for about symptoms like you can ask it anything it's like the smartest search engine in the world is probably what their slogan should be sounds super cool i'll have to check it out so on that note do you have any recommendations for some great content that you've come across lately like books videos blog posts anything that's like top of mind right now yeah so three books i'm most interested in right now platform revolution i think that and bold are probably like the two most important books any entrepreneur should be reading right now. But then I also found a book by, what's his name again? Stephen Pressfield. And it's um, Nobody Wants to Read Your Shh. I don't know if this is a family show or not, but that book. And then there's another, an, an oldie but goodie uh, that I read a long, long time ago, like probably my first year, uh, Hypnotic Writing by Joe Vitale. And I bought it because I really, I really just wanted to have a copy on my bookshelf. But when I got it delivered and I looked at the table of contents, it's like, holy crap, this book is amazing. And so like I'm rereading it and just falling in love with it all over again. It's called Hypnotic Writing by Joe Vitale. It's uh, how to seduce and persuade customers with only your words. It's awesome. It's awesome. Those are some great resources. And I'll make sure that uh, we link to that so other people can check them out. So on that note, do you have any last thoughts or personal models that you live by and you think other people should know about? I don't know. You know, one of the important things to me, you know, I have this idea of the, the chocolate chip cookie theory, and it's kind of the basis of all my marketing is, you know, if you go to a bakery, they give you one free chocolate chip cookie. If that cookie's good, you're buying a whole box, maybe a couple boxes. And so all of my marketing is kind of geared around that same philosophy. That's why everything always starts with a blog post. You know, I try that blog post is my chocolate chip cookie. I'm trying to, for my audience, design the best blog post that they, what would be their dream blog post that they wish somebody would write. And I try to write what that dream is. And then I use smart targeting from Facebook and Twitter to get the right people to that blog post. And if you do it right, you can start really getting you know, a lot of social shares and because you're getting a lot of traffic to it and a lot of social shares, it tends to rank high in Google. And because it's also good value content, Google likes that as well. So you not only get like the leads from it immediately, you know, if you optimize your blog correctly, you use welcome mats and call to actions and 
content upgrades, all the things that most people are doing, you get the initial leads and sales, but you also get SEO benefit, you get social benefit. It's just the way I do my marketing. So it's the cook, chocolate chip cookie theory. That's a good, uh, it's a good theory and it's a good, uh, good practice. Obviously it's working. Justin, thanks so much for taking the time to chat with us and, and share your insights with us. We really appreciate uh, having you on. Thank you guys for having me on. Well, that's another episode of Hack to Start. Thanks for listening, and we hope to have you join us again soon. Remember to check us out on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, and on the web at hacktostart.com. We honestly couldn't do it without your awesome support, so please leave us a review on iTunes. Until next week, and we hope you enjoy the show.